0: How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Catapulting Commissions family, welcome back to this week's episode of Catapulting Commissions. I have a treat for you today. We've always talked about sales, sales leadership, sales development on the Catapulting Commissions podcast. And in today's episode, I've brought back one of my original mentors, coaches, and closest friends, J.P. Yarley. Now, let me tell you a little about J.P. Not only is he a Hall of Fame manager, spent 22 years building an incredible business in the Cutco organization. He spent the last six and a half years in a senior leadership role with Vivint. Not only that, but here's what the real knit and good stuff, I guess the good concepts we're going to talk with JP about today. He is a graduate of the professional leadership program through the Harvard Business School, where he has gone back. And now he provides executive leadership coaching and development to people who come through the Harvard Business Program seeking That skill of enhancing their leadership skills. Now, today's show, we're going to dive in and talk a little bit about JP on leadership, leadership skills. Maybe we'll pick his brain a little bit on sales and sales development. At the end, I'll be sure to leave all the links to JP's social media. You can definitely follow and engage with him as he's uh, on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. JP Arley, welcome to the Catapulting Commission Show.
1: What up, Anthony? Long time no chat, brother. Good to see you. Um, and uh, I guess
0: I get I got the advanced copy of the book, so I'm glad to see you. Doing well. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I do appreciate the giving the testimonial, seeing early sneak peeks in the book. It has gone to uh, international bestseller, six different countries, five different categories, including number one in sales and marketing. And I attest a lot of that to what I've learned from our friendship, which dates. I want to date you and I, but closer to 20 years than it is to 10 or 15. Long time running. So, dude, first, before we start this thing, everything going safe, you and the family. I know COVID has created a new uh, a new way of working. Everything's safe where you're in your neck of the woods.
1: Yeah, the funny thing about COVID is I actually saw your mom on the first of three or four trips I had. It was in February. Uh, it was in Vegas. And I went February in Vegas. Then I went Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Cabo. Boston and home all during while COVID was, was, was launching. But so yeah, the family's healthy. Uh, it was good to see your mom back in February. Uh sounds like everything's go, going well there as well uh, also. So yeah, everything's good, man. Just um, we have 3,500 salespeople, 3,200 salespeople in the field right now uh, dealing with all the essential services that we, we provide and not to mention they're, they're masked up and all that stuff. So it's a little bit crazy, but things are good.
0: 3,500 sales reps. 32. Let's just call it over 3,000 sales reps dealing with this COVID deal. That 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 does create a new challenge. So let's 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 just jump into it. One of the things that I've learned most, and if you've if you've read catapulting commissions and you've and you've heard any of my previous blogs, I talk about the people who've coached and mentored me. And JP was one of the very first people that challenged me and really worked on developing me, probably more than I saw in myself at such a young age, and has really created the fo- uh, the footprint for where I'm at today. Now, let's fast forward this, JP. You got 3,200 kids, 3,200 sales reps. I don't want to call them kids, but 3,200 sales reps, hundreds of managers out there. How do you develop somebody right now when there's so many external distractions?
1: Well, that's the thing, right? If you're not recruiting your people, somebody else or something else is. So you constantly have to put yourself in a situation where you're having influence. And so for me, it's all about controlling... My master life calendar, right? So I know where I'm going to be. Um, I'm speaking as a leader right now. I'm more of the, you know, I, I run recruiting and training for for Vivint, so I'm I'm not the person in the field anymore. But I would want to make sure that my uh, any leader would have their calendar dialed in, so their people, including their family and their friends, know exactly where they are, when they're going to be there, and then they use that calendar to control those. Um, Situations, for example, if somebody's going on a week vacation and they know when they're going to do it, then I would make sure that that leader has some kind of event, one-on-one staff meeting, social event the day before they leave, and then something the day after they get back. So when they're gone on vacation, they're bookending um, both sides of that that disconnect. Um, especially in, in, in direct sales or ten ninety nine sales, where you know you you know, cats away the mice will play. I always want to make sure I left people with direction to go in. And then when I disconnected, came back, had an opportunity to see what happened when I was gone. I never wanted to come back and have that conversation, especially if it's longer than a week that the individual's quitting or moving to another company or recruited by somebody else. So for me to to control all the chaos in the world, the larger your organization gets, the more important your calendar becomes as, as the, as the as the truth, right? Once you set that calendar, you can never change an event because then you lose confidence conviction people have in your word of of your schedule.
0: I like that. I really do like that. you know, it's funny as I still tie that, that principle you just discussed of bookending. And I think I first heard this nearly 18 years ago. I still tie it in now, for example, it's 4th of July. You know, if I'm headed out before 4th of July, there's always that, that right before I disconnect with my team, Hey guys, here's what's going on. Here's my marching orders on the back end soon as I get in, I try to have some some event created just to re-engage people that, that I'm developing. And can, I, can
1: I tell a funny story about, about, dude, about you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: So having to do with this calendar and this strictness of schedule, um, I totally forgot about this, but when I saw your mom in February, she reminded me that you lived with me for a minute. <laughs> um, well, it must have been five or six months or something, but it was an easy five or six months because I don't remember how long it was. But I remember you and I and a couple others, um, we went out, went out to a bar in Pasadena and stayed out pretty late and had a few drinks. And it was a Saturday late, late in our summer. And I wake up um, late on Saturday. I'm like, where in the hell is Anthony? And you come dra- dragging about an hour later, just I could just see it on you. I'm like, where'd you go? He's like, well, we had that workshop on Saturday. That I had to go run it. I had totally forgot I was in the schedule. But you had developed to a point where you know that that schedule, that is so important to honor that hungover and all you went in there and ran that that workshop. And that's when I realized that obviously you were a complete and utter dog and stud. Um, but more importantly, the, the importance of making people know hey, what is rights, what is agreed upon in advance and you wouldn't deliver and those people. If you wouldn't have been there, we would have lost the trust of those of those salespeople that showed up that Saturday.
0: You know, it's funny, and I do remember that story. And as I, as I progress throughout my career, and and some of these sales conferences provide the social atmosphere. You know, I even to my to this day, I tell my team, "Hey, we show up when we said we showed up." And the line you just said what is agreed upon in advance or what is correct is what is agreed upon in advance. It's so funny. I still say that. And I still practice and believe it, but you talked about retaining trust of those salespeople by us honoring and respecting that schedule. Is there, and is there something that you believe or you teach either your time developing and coaching me, or even through some of the clients that come through you through the Harvard business program, when people want to retain trust or gain trust of their sales force, How do they do that when they're coming in as a new leader?
1: Uh, That's a great question. Um, And I've made mistakes uh, doing that here in the last, you know, changing companies, right? Coming from someplace where my, where, where long, long time in the same spot with people that followed me into a new situation where I felt I had some answers to change, uh, but they weren't willing to listen. And you just, if you're into a new situation, you'll hear this in, in different, um, formats, but 30, 60, 90, right? What do you want to do in the first 30, 60, 90 days? In fact, today, before this call, I was talking to a, a CFO out of a, of a agriculture company in uh, out of Northern England. He runs about half, half a million pound agricultural company, and they're looking to bring him on as the new CEO. And we're talking about some of these things, same things, is what is he going to do in the first 30, 60, 90 days of getting this promotion? And for, for him, because he's an analytical leader, that first 30 days has to be all about people. Right. So he's going to go on a roadshow and meet with all the managing directors. Of it. It's a portfolio company in the agricultural space. So he's going to go meet with all the managing directors of each department and just spend time. Right, And we talked a lot today about, about no real business conversation, more like you, you need to know their spouse's name, their kid's name, their dog's name, their cat's name. I have a, I have a guy that used to work for me. Uh, when I see him at the airport, I always remember his, his his girlfriend and his dog's name. It's in my phone. I just wrote it in my phone years ago, but I remember his name. And so he's going to spend the first 30 days on the road with the director spending social time. And then he's got a 60-day um, plan. I'm not going to get into it. And then he's got a 90-day plan where the of change happens. So if you're taking a new role, and if, I'm being, if I was interviewed for a new role, I would say, hey, you know, how much runway do I have? Because if I come in and make this change in the first 30 days, I'm going to be the bad guy. So do I have 90 days to implement any real change? Because I'm going to spend the first 30 getting to know the people and then so on and so forth. So I'd want to find out how much runway I would have, time I would have to make these changes. Now, some organizations are really young and have had really poor leadership. So, you know, they bring somebody else in new. And typically people who survive poor leadership are committed. So somebody new comes in, they're like, "I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll run through a brick wall for you. I'm just happy to have somebody that cares." But sometimes you'll take over an organization where the people that are left are the old dogs, and the old dogs have been doing the same thing, the same way, under the same radar, and have been getting away with it. And it's funny that you say that that quote, that repeated that quote of "what's rights would what agreed upon in advance," because the person who taught me that was Ed Reed, and Ed Reed was somebody that was in his fifties, and I took over an organization that he was in. I was twenty eight at the time. And I was a little intimidated having this legend um, fall underneath my leadership. And Ed taught me a ton. One of the things he taught me was exactly that. What is the rights was agreed upon in advance. And it took me a few months to kind of get comfortable with working with somebody that is much more mature, but he was easy to work with. So depending if you're taking over an organization or working in an organization that that is old and stalwart or young and excited, then the approach would be a little bit different. But 30, 60, 90 is what I would typically do.
0: I, I like that you roll in a leadership plan in 30 60 90. Most salespeople get that 30 60 90 concept from from their sales plan. But you you talk about it coming from a position of leadership. And I know that I I have taken over teams and I've come in and and it's it's funny you say that, right? If you survive poor leadership, you're pretty loyal. Like you're loyal to the company, you're loyal to your mission, you're whatever the situation is. But there is that time where you take over a team or you come into a position of leadership, you reference them as old dogs, right? Or And I, I came into a team and I'm like, okay, there's people here that aren't motivated, aren't working, but have the security, have the tenure, have, you know, a really just a, le- a level of complacency. But it was a challenging point because you you used the analogy of, of you and, and Ed Reed. You were 28. He was 50. There was an age difference. But a lot of the times the leaders that I've spoken to or that have come through the catapulting commission show are transitioning from being a peer to a leader. And so in that peer-to-leadership role, you know, I've been on your team. Let's just say, you know, we're on Team USA for United States sales team of catapulting commissions. We all work together. And tomorrow there's an opening for the director. Now, you were my peer yesterday. Tomorrow you're going to be my boss. Well, when you become that boss it has a new problem of trying to establish that leadership role. Can you talk to me a little bit about that transition? Because the first analogy, you know, you come from a position of power, CFO, CEO, gain the trust of the masses, roll your 30, 60, 90. But let, let's do a little pivot here. We've come up together and now I'm your boss. How does that transition? What does that conversation look like when you become a leader?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. And Probably the biggest mistake people make when that happens, and we, I mean, in, in, in sales it happens all the time, is they try to act like the boss on day one or day two or day three, where the reason they got the promotion is because they led from the front. They led, they led out with their performance and not with their, with their dictatorial management style. So most immature reps or salespeople that become managers or leaders will, tr- will try to start acting like a manager or a leader, but that's not what got them the opportunity, got them the opportunities to performance in the field. And so you need to give yourself time to earn the respect um, of, of those peers. And I had this happen to me way back in the day. One of my, well, still to this day, my, my, my best friends is Mark Lovis, who was a, is a co-legend and he became, and, and, you know, I was a 21 or 22 year old high school senior when I, or college senior when I met him and he was 18 or 19. um, And, you know, I went off and conquered the world for the first three or four years before he had a chance. And sure enough, he passed me and became my boss. Right. And I didn't think anything of it because Mark led from the front. He led through his work ethic, his thought process, um, his ability to explain to me what he wanted to be done. And, you know, Mark, I remember he would call me and he would, he would manage me in a certain way. And if, if, if you know me at all, if you talk to me or manage me in a way that I don't like, I'm not going to wait a week, a a month or a year to tell you, I'm going to tell you in that one second. That doesn't work for me. And so Mark would call me and manage me a certain way. And I go, that doesn't work for me. Don't do it that way. This is what I need. And I always think of the movie, uh, old movie for those people who are listening, watching Jerry Maguire, right? When, when uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. And, and Jerry Maguire, he's like, you go across the middle, you take the big hit, right? Like some people like to be managed in a way where they're told why they're great, some people like to be compared to others. Um, me, I just wanted to be, to, to be given direction, right? What do you see me doing? What do you need me to do and tell me how to do it? I remember one time I said, don't ever call me and tell me that somebody else is doing something better than I'm doing because that doesn't work for me. I'm not motivated by somebody else losing for me to win. I'm motivating by becoming the better version of myself and becoming better at my job. So if you see something that I can do better, you tell me directly. you can do this better. I'm not going to take it personally as long as you don't, aren't personal with me. Don't tell me you don't like my haircut. And you're not doing a good job because then I'll take it personally. So I don't know if I've got all the way to the answer to your question, but that, those are the things that popped into my mind because I was that guy that was managed by a friend. And I deal with that now every day when we promote leaders at Vivint is one day they were peers. Like I have a situation, we have a situation at Vivint where um, the 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 older brother recruited the younger brother into the organization and the younger brother is now the one in charge. He's the one of the top reps in the company he's a leader and you talk to the younger brother, you'll say, My big brother taught me everything I, I, I know about this, this situation, this this company, yet he's the one in charge. And there's no conflict there because it's all about relationships first.
0: I like that. Relationships first, you know, essentially people first is what I'm hearing. And and I you mentioned your story of how when you had a, a peer become your boss, and you're saying, Hey, that doesn't work for me, that that's not gonna fly with me. Don't don't speak to me that way. Here's what I need from you. I need direction, I need this. And being a boss who used to be peers, because I, I too have transitioned from that role, as I think we've all have, those conversations are easy, right? If I had a JP on my team that was like, "Hey, Anthony, with all honesty, here's what I need from you." And, and uh, you know, I mean a lot, of my, a lot of my team that works with me who listens to the podcast, and some of them will say, "Oh, you've talked about me or you've mentioned me." And this is one of those scenarios where I'll talk about my team. Yeah, when I tell people, "Hey, you know, they come to me like, Anthony, here's what I need from you, or here's, here's what I'm not getting. That makes leadership easy. What about, let's flip that scenario, same scenario, we have a team, but now you have a shy JP, right? Someone who I know is talented, someone who I know can produce revenue, someone who I want in my organization, but we're just not, we're not, we're not connecting there, or I feel a sense of timidness where, where you're not quite comfortable just to say, hey, tell me what I need. How do, you, how do you extract that from that person?
1: So, yeah, let's, I want to answer that, but I want to go back to what you just said about you and I are the type of people that are going to tell our leaders what we want. But when, when you're a new leader and, and somebody comes and tells you what they need, how do, you re, how do you react, right? Oh, yeah, oh shit, it's kind of how it goes. Right? Some people are like, get ego and go, I'm the boss, right? Yeah. I, I can't tell, I would love people to come to me and say, This is how, hey, BP, I love you. I love working for you, but this is what I need from you. It makes our job so much easier than trying to figure out, you know, what, what the, you know, what the body's language is and everything else. So more importantly is think about when people come, when you want people to come to you, but if, you know, we have three rules in our, we have many rules in our house, but um, three major rules with my boys. Uh, Number one rule is always tell the truth. And now they're getting older, nine, seven, and five. And I don't know how many times I say a week, have you ever gotten in trouble if you've told me the truth the first time? And the answer is always no. Because right now they're not driving, they're not, they're not doing things that are gonna really cause trouble to the house and the, and the family. So I'm trying to establish trust as long as they tell me truth the first time that they're not gonna get in trouble. So now if they tell me the truth the first time and I punish them, whatever the punishment is, I'm gonna lose all credibility with them. And so managing people is the same way. If you if you want feedback from your team and then your team brings you feedback and you don't listen, you disregard it or you change the subject, right? They're never going to bring you feedback again, ever. So now moving on to your question, when you have somebody that is shy um, and they have potential, I, I would just have that conversation. I'm a big fan of, of of the power of the one-on-one, uh, I don't know if you've had John Berghoff on your on your podcast yet, but a shout out to John. He taught me the Fab Five about coaching, the five five questions, and um, try to get John on and have him talk about the Fab 5 five. I'm not going to steal them, but I've used that for almost a um, decade, fifteen years now, um, and I want to get down to to the why that, that of what, what they're working. So in corporate America, um, is what I'm dealing with right now. If somebody comes onto the team. And, you know, a situation I have right now, somebody is a, is, a, is a programmer by trade, right? And so, but he spent five years in the field while he's getting his degree. So he knows how to sell. He knows how to train. He knows what we need in our training team. But ultimately, he's going to end up in programming. And now he's not shy by any means, but he doesn't want to be in that role long term. Well, recently, we had um, some positions open up in IT. I saw them on LinkedIn Posted by one of our IT people. I took a screenshot. I sent it to him. I said, "Hey, this is this is sooner than I would have liked, right? But these positions are open, and I wouldn't be the leader. I wouldn't be the leader I am for you if I didn't tell you to go go for it." His response to me was, um, "The time's not right. We haven't finished what we set out to accomplish, and you've been the best mentor to me. So let's get this finished before I go pursue those things." And so in his case, he wasn't shy, but he was in a role that. We didn't want to be in long term. So if you're dealing with somebody that's quiet that doesn't tell you what what's going on, you got to find out where they want to go with this job, right? If it's corporate America and they just got out of college and and they have a advertising background and they're in some support role, well, your job as a leader is to find an opportunity to put them in an advertising position in your company. And I have you know I have this conversation with anybody I would hire. If you're in this job for more than more than eighteen months, then you and I are both not doing our job. You need to grow to a position where I can promote you or, or recommend you to the field that you want to be. And I will do that. The only thing I ask is you help me find and train your replacement. And so I, I always hated when people quit, left me high and dry. So I always wanted to make sure that I wanted to find a way to promote people into the field that they want to go in. But at the same time, I plant the seed that I want them to help me find their, my, uh, their replacement. It's always served me well. It's really served me well, um, especially in corporate America.
0: You know, that 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 whole helped me find your replacement, you know, I, I hear retention out of that. And just in having that conversation, I can picture if I work for you and you share that conversation with me, it takes that that relief, the stress off the shoulders of of knowing that that my time in this role may be temporary or maybe permanent. And we need to have that discussion. So I like how you extract and pull that information out from your shire employees, from people who aren't as vocal as, say, you and I saying, hey, here's what I need. And as you said that, you're right. It does make the leadership job easy.
1: Now... Let's talk, well, let's talk about shy real quick, right? Okay. They may be shy in their job, but then you catch them on a Friday night at a random scenario and they're the ones singing karaoke. They're the one holding court with their friends. You're like, wait, they're not this person at work. And if they're not this person at work, what am I doing to hold them back? And it's our responsibility to to... To let them be themselves, let them be a voice. And the thing about leadership is, um, I was I was on a ladder uh, last weekend. Uh, somebody that works for me wh- is really handy with construction, and we were talking about leadership. And I and I stopped for a second and go, Hey, let's let's talk about this right now. Right now, in my backyard, who's the boss? And he's like, Well, I am. I'm referring to he said it to himself. I go, Exactly. You tell me what to do, and I will I will do this. Working on my house, and you're helping me, but you know more than I do. If you're on a plane with me and all and our entire executive team, this guy's an Eagle Scout, and we, get, and, we, and we crash land, and we end up on an island, who's the boss? The CEO, the CFO, or are you taking the lead? He's like, damn right, I am. So leadership is about opportunity. Shyness is about situation. And so you have to ask yourself, am I allowing my people to, to be on that desert, deserted island with a bunch of executives and have a voice? And because and, and, absolutely, if we were stranded, I'm going to look to him and say, do you remember how to start a fire? <laughs> right? I didn't get, I wasn't an Eagle Scout. I could. I have watched movies. I could probably figure it out, but you probably have done it. And, and so if there, if I see somebody who's, who's not shy outside of work, but they're shy in work, I'm going to have a conversation. I said, I need you to come out at work so you can be the person I need you
0: to be here. Oh man, there's tons of nuggets there. I mean, that, that whole having that conversation with your development about leadership in the right opportunities in the right situations. Um, you know, it's, it's, funny, you know, I, I tell everybody who works with me, Hey, leadership's not a title. It's not like tomorrow you get this title and you're, you're a leader all of a sudden, like leadership is earned. Leadership is especially in sales, right? Leadership is earned by showing people you care. Leadership is earned by being there, providing more value than you ask for in return. I mean, there's so many ways we can can discuss and extract this form of leadership. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. In, in your scenario, you just referenced right there. You had somebody at your house. One of the challenges leaders have, and, and earlier in the to Commission show, I had Anton Gunn, who was former senior advisor to Barack Obama on the show. We, and we had a, a similar dialogue, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. Where does he, leadership... pretty lucky that he went before me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there is... Where does leadership... And friendship go hand in hand as a draw a line, same, same scenario. You know, now I have a team where this was, these are my buddies. These are my friends. And now I'm someone's boss, quote unquote, or I'm in a position of leadership. How do we tie that friendship, leadership, work relationship, or can you tie or does it remain separate?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, I mean, that's Moneyball, right? If you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, so like I want to get mm-hmm. close to him. I have to send them down or fire him And, and, uh, Look, I, I, w- I would rather cry with somebody at the end than, than run an inefficient team or not provide everything with them. The way I've always led, and you know this, is I, le- I lead from the heart. I, I lead with love. I lead with compassion. And, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you got to let somebody go. Sometimes somebody moves on. But, but, but because you gain their trust if I, if I had a, if I had to fire you Anthony if, you know I, it would suck right if, you know and I'd be like, look man, I've done everything I could I look for every possible different solution to find you a home here but every home that I came up with would just be to hold you there so you and I you know can feel good about it. But what's better is you can go ahead and list me as a reference and anybody who calls me in fact, let me go ahead and put a put a put a message out on LinkedIn, right? In fact, anybody listening, we just had to let some people go at, at Vivit, some top-notch salespeople. I'm not going to refer them to our competitors, right? But uh, I would be more than happy to refer those people um, for, for, for sales because the reason we had to let them go was really irrelevant to their ability to sell, right? But I would rather go to you and say, look, man, it's, it's come time. We got to find a different home for you. Um, I could have found some crappy home for you here, but instead, let's just go. Let's let me help you find a job, and I'll send out a tweet. I'll send out a. Uh, a linkedin post you know like i'd much rather go to bat for somebody the job that they really really want uh, we just had massive layoffs at vivint before before covid um and then because of covid and pe- many times people ended up better better situation because of the of the skill they learned with a bigger company going and leveling up in a smaller company i kind of want to round the, the, that answer a bit but um i would ra- i would rather cry with you on the day of termination or then, then lead an authentic work relationship with
0: you. I, you know, it's, it's funny you say that and, and give some history here, right? Again, JP was my, one of my original managers, my original mentors. We lived together for a little bit. If you didn't hear the story. Uh, you know, 18, 19 years later, we're still friends to this day. and, that lead from your heart. I, I do that right now with my team, with anyone who works with me. I'm, I'm pretty hard on my sleeve. I keep it direct. Uh, you know, I cross those boundaries of, of friendship. I don't even call them boundaries. I just, I want to work with people that I like to hang out with. And people ask when they interview with me, like, hey, what do you look for? I'm like, you know, I list a lot of things. You know, I, I look for a track record of success. I look for honesty, integrity, et cetera. I said, but honestly, one of the biggest things to me is if you and I were stuck in an airplane for five hours sitting next to each other? Would I enjoy myself? If we were stuck in a car for eight hours driving on a field ride, can I enjoy myself? Would I enjoy having the dialogue? Would I enjoy the conversation? And, you know, one of the things that I've learned from you that I share with people is, hey, we can be friends at work, right? But as long as we get work done, you don't ever have, don't ever force me to make a decision between work and friendship because that's not really being a friend at the end of the day, right? If we're going to cross that, if we're going to be friends, if we're going to work together, we're going to get things done. And I I like, you know, eventually if you have to let someone go or you have to have that discussion, it's um, it's never pleasant. It's never enjoyable. And anybody who's in a position of leadership is going to have to cross that road sooner or later. So I really dig what you're saying about, you know, just lead from your heart, work with people you want to enjoy your time with.
1: In a performance environment, right? If they're a salesperson for you, catapulting commissions, we're talking about salespeople. If you're catching somebody off guard because you're letting them go for lack of performance, that's on you as a leader because there should be many other conversations about their growth, their why, why they're working, what do they want to get out of the job are they on pace to do those things and you know if you do this right, you don't really have to let people go. they go on their own and they and they go with a, they go with the fact that you cared enough about them. Uh, I, I'm always brought back to this recruiting interview I had years ago where one of my one of my favorite salesperson in the history of the world um, brought me his one of his best friends to come to come work for me, and I, I stuck him to my my office. I sat down. I started interviewing him, and it came down to it that he really wanted to go play professional golf, um, but wasn't entering tournaments because he didn't have the money. And I said, "Well, look, who pays for your car then? Well, my dad does. Well, who pays for your rent? Well, my dad does. Well, who paid for school? Your dad does." So you're going to let your dad pay for all that shit, but you're not going to call him up and say, Dad, can you intern me in five tournaments at 1000 bucks a pop? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid that you're going to fail just because you're no one golfer? I just went at him, right? The tears came, everything. And then he walked out and I looked at the sales rep. Did you get him? I, go, I didn't even try to get him. It wasn't the right thing for him. And I followed up with him a few times after the fact to see if, and he's like, yeah, I called my dad. He entered me in the tournaments. To me, that's doing doing what's right by people. I could have, I could, I could recruit anybody. I could have easily got him, but that wasn't what was right for him because he was going to be thinking about leaving something else, his dreams out there. I didn't want to be a dream crusher. So in that interview, I found, I found out the real why of life and I went after that. And if you do, do that with people, when they work for you, why are you working? I want to get married. I want to buy a ring or I want to buy a house or I want to buy a car. I want to retire. I want to pay off student loans. Well, why do you want to pay off student loans? Well, I saw my parents struggle with them. Well, what did you see when they struggled? Well, they couldn't do nice and fun things because they had the student loan debt. So the real goal is not making money. The real goal is not to live a life like their parents. And once you find out what the real goals are, when somebody's not performing, I can say, look, Anthony, I got to apologize, man. I haven't been doing my job. You told me that you wanted to do X, Y, and Z because of these reasons. And I'm letting you not do that. I'm allowing you to underperform. And that's not fair to you. So as much as it pains me, I got to sit you down. We got to talk about a performance improvement plan. Because if you don't improve, then I'm not doing my job as a leader. I don't want you to leave. I don't want to get rid of you. But if you fail, that's going to hurt a hell of a lot worse than if I have to let you go. And that's how I lead. That's how I think about situations.
0: Do that there... Hearing that is relieving, that there, that there that is the philosophy and principles of leadership, right? I am in 18 years of professional sales. Once in my entire life, I've been handed a performance improvement plan. Didn't even know what those were, but I got a performance improvement plan. And it came out of right field. I mean, far, I had never had a discussion and never had any of this. I knew there were some challenges. I'm a smart guy. I knew the numbers weren't where they were supposed to be. But, you know, I I continue to bring it up. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. And uh, out of the blue, got a phone call one day. It was like, hey, I need to talk to you. Here's this performance improvement plan. Here's 90 days to improve. <laughs> I laughed. I literally laughed on the phone. I'm like, you know, what's funny is I've not once had this conversation. as like, hey, I'm concerned. Hey, you're missing the metric. I know this just because I know the numbers. What did you think about your leader when you got that? I was pissed. I was angry as hell. I, was, I, I went to lunch with my wife immediately afterwards, and I probably says some harsh things that would change this podcast from, you know, a G rated to a pretty nasty show. But my frustration was, if you knew I was struggling, how come you've never once reached out and said, Hey, how can I help you? If you knew I was having challenges, and I wasn't hitting my metrics, you know, you you see my commission checks, you knew at the time, I wasn't making the money that I was accustomed to, I wasn't making the money that I wanted to. And he never knew what my goals were. But I wasn't making money to support what my goals were. But then I just showed up one day, phone call at 9am with a conference call at 930 on a conference call at 930 with my leader and HR and a performance improvement plan. And I laughed on the call and I was like, this is hilarious because did they, ever, did they ever get your respect back. No, to this right. day, no. And
1: that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about, did you do everything you can to support people that you commit to? And it's cowardly as a leader to not have tough conversations but they're not tough. If you truly care about the person, if, if there's somebody in your organization that you're just taking a number from, right, then, then get them because you don't, because when you sit down and talk to them, they take two hours instead of 20 minutes. If they're not your right fix, send a message, make some phone calls, find a replacement for them. because you could always hire talent and, and, and replace that. But don't ever be the person that catches somebody out a right field because
0: that's just, that's just dirty. Yeah, it actually is. It's it's funny you say that, right? I didn't, you know, as we're having this conversation, I didn't realize how much of what I've learned from you I implement because I too have had to give that conversation to people and I've had to deliver performance improvement plans. And there, there, I had an employee that I, to, to this day, we're still friends. She no longer works with me. But at the time, she was struggling. She wasn't hitting her metrics. And we had multiple conversations. And one day I said, hey, we really, let's chat. And so I met with her and I already had, I had the green light. I had HR. She needs a performance improvement plan. She needs a performance improvement plan. And I, as a leader, was like, I understand that, but I'm not ready to give it to her because I still think there's areas to improve. Let me, let, let me be the one to make that final decision. So I got them to agree. We sat down, drove down, had breakfast together. And I literally, I, I, I think this, I heard it from you. Tell them what's going to happen if they don't improve. I literally said, hey, XYZ, here's what's happening. I have to be honest with you. My window, our window to see results is really, really small right now. We've done a lot of things. I know we've, we've tried these strategies. We've tried this. What's happening? How can I help you in the immediate? Because if we can't turn around results in the next 30, 45 days, you're going to get a performance improvement plan. You're going to get frustrated. And realistically, in three to four months, you might not be here anymore. So how do we prevent that? And I remember the look on her face when she was like, am I getting this today? I'm like, no, this is me coming to you as your mentor. How can I prevent me from having to give this to you? And hearing you say that, how did you feel about that? The leader who gave me a plan without it out of right field compared to when I delivered a plan to someone who worked with me, we're still friends to this day. In that conversation, she came out that she was having a promotion opportunity for more income from a different company. And that was her true goal was she wanted to be promoted. She knew on my team, I didn't have an opening in Southern California for her. And I wasn't going to have one anytime soon. And it turned into, okay, well, here's what I need from you to hit your metrics in the time being. And when that opportunity comes, let me know because I'll be your biggest fan. I'll write the best letter of recommendation and I'll make those phone calls for you supporting your promotion. Fast forward, she left, she got a promotion. But I think about that conversation. It's something I've learned from you.
1: And the thing, the thing about, like, about PIPs, which are kind of silly, I mean, I don't want to bash anybody in HR that's, that is listening to this, but I, I know in the worlds I, that I circle in, my HR support teams have never led a team, right? So I'm not about to take advice from somebody who's never led a team. Um, but if you do it right, your people are apologetic. Your people are letting you down. Your people leave because you have high expectations. And you never have to really damage that relationship with the PIP. If you're truly putting the work in, and, and whatever your work is, my work was always, you get 30 minutes of my life on Tuesday, non-negotiable, face-to-face or on the phone, and 27 minutes of that is you telling me how I can help you, and three minutes of that is telling you what I need. And you've you've been in many of those one-on-ones with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I've, I've always ran my life. And you give somebody 30 minutes of your life once a week, um, it does a lot of things to help you manage manage your workload and your flow and everything else. But more importantly, when you have those tough conversations, uh, people people leave because they're letting you down. People leave because they can't figure it out. And and that's fine because when somebody who's on the lower end of the tree quits and you, and you salvage that relationship, right, they're in control. They make the decision. Your thought is like, sweet, I don't need to terminate them. I can easily find the replacement of those numbers. But here's the other flip side of that. How many times have you got caught off guard when your top person has quit? A producer has quit because you weren't paying attention to the other things, right? how to retain them. But that's a, probably a story for a different day.
0: You know, it's funny. 100%. So much value in there. Yes, those conversations with top top people leave without having that attention can definitely be a whole nother episode but that that 30 minutes you give somebody that hour you give somebody whatever the timing is it builds and develops that relationship and it's okay you know i don't i don't you, know, you don't have to bash hr people but i i love what you just said they don't lead a team and it's 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 funny cuz i know i've had challenges where i've stood up for people and i've stood up to my hr counterparts i'm like look i got to be honest with you i'm i'm with this person i'm with them in front of their customers i see what's happening this isn't a textbook this isn't a theory this is 20 years of leading people. This is 20 years of spending time with people. I need you to trust my gut. And if you can't trust my gut, then maybe I shouldn't be here. And I've had that conversation where I've stood up for people or fought to promote people. When I was like, oh, they're not the right fit. I'm like, well, I gotta be honest with you. If you're not gonna let me promote my team and how I want to see fit, then maybe I'm not the right fit. Because you know, you have to trust and enable your leadership. So it's okay to bash HR. We, we're, you know, we're catapulting commissions, not catapulting HR. So let's. we got about five, seven minutes left, JP. One thing I wanna pick your brain on this professional leadership program through Harvard Business School, what is it? How'd you get involved? And what is your role there? I know you teach some really phenomenal people. You don't have to divulge your clients, but kind of give us a high end of what is it you're teaching there and what that program is.
1: Yeah, so many years in the direct sales field where your, your resume was a number of salespeople that you had underneath you. And um, took an opportunity to go into a corporate role here at Vivint where I was gonna be dealing with retail, right? And um, I knew as soon as I let go of my salespeople, then my resume kind of mattered. So I looked into a leadership development course, a few people at Vivint had gone through um, this professional leadership development. So I applied, I got in, I went, it was a eight month course with online learning, you know, four weeks on campus, 12 weeks in between, um, a good full, full six, eight months stuff. In the process, um, my coach in the program worked at a coaching school that I actually went to ten years earlier just to learn some education behind the life life of knowledge. And she said, "You look, you got to do this. You got to come in and coach. You went through the program. You have perspective that no none of us have. You have the education, the background." And she referred me to the director of coaching for Harvard Business School. And I originally I said, "No, I don't have time." And then um, I got the time. And, and so maybe six months later, I reached back out. I got the time now. I'm interested. I want to stay connected with the university. And so I had an interview with the director and got the job. And so now uh, I don't teach. I just, I, Harvard has a very strict curriculum. They take people through uh, where there's, there's coursework, then there's then there's group discussion, then there's, um, uh, what do we call them? We call them living group acceleration programs, where you, you get, basically you take, Anthony take, take, seven people in your caliber in different industries from across the world and put them in a the living group. So you have cultural, you have age, you have sex, religion, everything involved. And for example, you know, I, I put my feet up on my, on my stool my, at home. I put my feet up all the time. Well, I had no idea that was insulting to certain cultures. And I'm in week three and a half. And finally, these two guys are laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? He's like, we haven't told you but when you stick your feet up on the table, it's insulting to us, but we like you. So we never said anything I'm like, well, that's like if I have lettuce in my teeth and I'm going into an interview, you don't tell me I have lettuce in my teeth. That's not nice. That's like, <laughs> like, I feel like a jerk now that I had my feet up the entire time. So it's this cultural challenge combined with with seven other high performers that have never had to work with high performers. And so there's ego, there's clash, there's everything. And and my role is to to facilitate that that cross-cultural, high-performance living group. But on top of that, they all have to do a a personal case, which is a real-world personal case of how they're going to change their business. I coach them through that. I coach them through some uh, leadership development plans and some, some re-entry plans and some 360 reviews. We do some debriefs on those. Um, but I've had the pleasure of working with people from all over the world, um, from you name the country most likely in that, in that region and help them deal with the real world problems. And here's what I'll tell you. I don't care if you're a salesperson knocking door to doors alarms, if you're, if you're a 19 year old sitting in the house selling knives. If you're a 35 year old man selling, selling surgical mesh, the doctors, right? You all operate with confidence. And if your confidence is high, your performance is high. If your confidence is low, your performance is low. And I've talked to people that are CFOs, the CFOs of Google, not sorry, the Alibaba, right? There, you know, one of Alibaba's companies, they were a client of mine and, and she, she, she needed confidence, right? Uh, and every individual, they need to be told, you go across the middle, you take the big hit. You've worked your life to do this. You, ha- you have the ability. Don't second guess yourself because you're at Harvard. Don't second guess yourself because you're getting thought for promotion. And they just need that encouragement. And what I tell all, all these students is, you and I could have been in the exact same class. Right? I just decided to come to this program two years earlier, so I've went through it, and I can tell you how hard it is. Um, but you and I could be in the same living group had we applied at the same time. So I am your peer here with perspective. And that's what coaching really is is this this unconditional love, this unconditional uh, opinion for the benefit of that human. I have, no, I have no gain, right? They individually don't pay me. I'm not trying to keep them as a client. I'm trying to get them through the program with the highest level of confidence possible so they can go succeed. And those of you who are looking to level up in the corporate world or leaving sales in the corporate world, look into it. It's the Professional Leadership Program, PLD. It's 50 grand uh, to go uh, to the program. It's 25 grand more if you want to go get alumni status and do a couple extra courses. Uh, if the company pays for it, it's great. But reach out to me. Reach out to Anthony. Get my information. I'll introduce you to the, to the director of it. It's an amazing program.
0: Fantastic. Catapulting Commission's family. On my show notes today, I'll leave a profile or a link, how to get a hold of JP, connect you through his LinkedIn profile. That leadership program is is 50 grand, 75 grand. We've talked about personal development and what that number looks like for individuals. And the one thing that I have found, the higher the level of success of an individual, the more money they've spent in that professional development, not necessarily how much have I spent for an undergraduate education or graduate education, even though those are development programs. I'm talking about additional, hey, I want to join this mastermind. I want to take this program. I want to connect with this group. So it definitely helps leveling up that network. Uh, Great insight and feedback there uh, from you, JP. So as we wrap up and finish this show, there's a salesperson listening to this show right now that says, hey, I want to be a leader and I want to interview When I'm going to go to my company. I want to interview for, I want to get in my position of leadership, right? Quick one minute answer. How would you tell, or what would you tell that person? Here's what you need to do to get into a position of leadership by being in sales.
1: I'd, I'd ask why 15 or 20 times until I heard the real reason, right? Um, and, I, and I, you know, obviously I'm on your podcast to talk a little bit about my experience Um, you know, I've had, I've had five jobs in seven years at Vivint and I think I'm finally in the role that I really can have the most influence on. And I've, I get hit up by headhunters all the time for, for jobs that are more important in title. Um, but I'm in a spot where I can have real true influence. I wake up every day and I literally think today I'm going to influence a human, change their life and impact the course of history. That's, that's what I live by, right? Is to influence a human, change their life. To, to change the impact of life, to change the course of history. That's kind of my mantra. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to be a leader, and I say, why? They tell me money. Like You can get money without being a leader. Right? I want to change somebody's life. Why? Because somebody did it for me. Well, what did that do for you? I'm going to find the real heartstring. So when they're sucking, I can go to them and I say, hey, you told me that this was important to you. So either tell me right now that it is important to you, or isn't important to you, or you need to change what you're doing because you're failing at what's important to you. So I would just ask why, 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 why until I could find the real reason that they truly want to be a leader. And then they have their reason and you have your leverage point if you're their leader.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. What's the true reason on catapulting emissions that you want to advance that leadership skill, advance your career? level up your network. Today, we heard from my original coach, my original mentor, J.P. Arley. J.P., multiple hats, multiple kudos to you. Anybody listening, again, I stand by the team that has developed and coached me over my career. And J.P. is truly a pillar and foundation of that. Thank you for joining the Catapulting Commission Show. And I will see you on the next one. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Well, that does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at anthony p garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions thank you for your time and i look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions